Hey sickos, I'm LJ. And I'm Toe. And this is Say Psycho Right Now. Say Psycho Right Now is a true crime and paranormal podcast. Some content may be considered disturbing or graphic. We don't typically provide trigger warnings due to the nature of the content we discuss. Listener discretion is advised. We are also potty mouths. If you're not put off by that, shout out you. Buckle up and get ready for another episode of Say Psycho. To shop brand merchandise, access our socials, or become a Patreon member with access to early episodes and bonus content, find us on any social media platforms and consult the link tree in our bio, or go to www.patreon.com slash psycho right now. You can also follow us on our socials or wherever you stream your podcasts and leave a five-star review if you're enjoying our content so that we can continue to reach more people. Following us on Patreon enables us to produce more content and enables you to access more content. So we highly recommend checking that out. Now let's get into today's episode. guys so glad to have you back here with us for another episode welcome back welcome back welcome back Jessie. beautiful Jessie, <laughs> so today well first let me preface this with this is going to be a two-parter and i personally love a two-parter um love a two-parter love a two-parter so this is going to be the case of Madeline McCann, but told in a way that I don't think you've probably ever heard this before. Now, that said, full disclaimer, and I'm going to let you guys know this right now, especially for those of you who are like avid true crime listeners. Episode one, you guys are probably going to be pretty familiar with the background that I'm providing here. I'm not saying don't listen to it because we love it when you guys listen to our content. Obviously, it's very good for us, very good for you to have the refreshing background situation. Got it, right? But I just want to make it clear that if you listen to episode one and you're like, oh, like I, that's not anything new. I hear you. I hear you, friend. 
But episode two, we're going to be focusing primarily on the suspect. I have yet to hear anything that goes into a lot of background on the suspect, how he's been honed in on, what evidence we're aware of connecting him to Madeline, what type of efforts are being made to make these charges stick right now. There's a lot of information like as somebody who's been following this case forever i did not know until i deep dove with the specific intention of researching this suspect to hell and back so i've got like nine pages worth of outline just on that part of the case and that's going to be pretty much where our episode two picks up so you definitely won't want to miss that I'm actually, you know, I'm a bad true crime person, and I'm not familiar with this case at all. Oh my god, this is, like, one of the most arguably, like, iconic abduction cases, just because, you know, you hear so many people describe this case, and, like, personally, this pisses me off, because it's like, you know that didn't happen, like, this is a solvable case, right? But Mm. so many people say it's like she was just there... And then she wasn't. Like, she disappeared into thin air. We all know that it didn't happen that way. But, you know, it's been a long time coming trying to piece together what happened that night. So, I'm going to give you the background. And for people like Toe who maybe aren't familiar with this case, or even if it's just been a bit and you want a refresher, I do also go into... The dogs, which for those of you who are familiar with this case, you'll know what I mean about the cadaver dogs. That was kind of my biggest like question mark, question mark for many years about this case. But I feel like this goes into some information about the cadaver dogs that would be helpful for people who are familiar with this case, but maybe have some questions about that aspect of things. So hang tight. We're going to start with the background, though. And hopefully you guys will, I don't want to say enjoy, but I mean, yeah, enjoy the information that we have on the case. I know it's a dark topic, but a very Um, interesting case. Kind of our brand. It's kind of what we do, so. Yeah. I just always feel bad when I say, like, enjoy this case. I mean, like, maybe don't enjoy her abduction, but enjoy consuming the information that I've put together for you to make understanding her case easier. So Madeline McCann's parents were Katie and Jerry McCann. Kate graduated from the University of Dundee with a degree in medicine and went on to become a general practitioner. Jerry graduated from the University of Glasgow with a BSc in physiology and sports science and later obtained his doctorate to practice medicine and he would go on to become a consultant cardiologist. The couple met in 1993, and they bonded over their mutual interests in medicine and the Roman Catholic faith. They went on to get married five years later in 1998. Madeline McCann was born on May 12, 2005 in Leicester, and lived with her family in Rothley, Leicester. In 2005, Kate and Gary would welcome twins, named Sean and Emily. Now we're kind of going to get into the timeline actually leading up to Madeline's abduction. 
So two years later, on April 28, 2007, the McCanns planned to enjoy a seven-day scheduled family vacation for spring break and arrived to their Ocean Club Complex Resort at Praia de Luz, Portugal. Over the course of the trip, the McCanns got into a habit of having dinner at the resort's tapas restaurant with seven other friends who were also enjoying vacation. This group would later be referred to, largely in the media, as the Tapas Seven. Between all of the adults, there were eight children total. In an effort to keep the kids safe while enjoying dinner, the families operated on a 15-minute rotation in which an adult would leave the table and go check on all of the kids, then return back to the table. Around 7.30 on the morning of Madeline's disappearance, Madeline asked her parents why they hadn't been in the apartment when she woke up crying the night before, and her parents made a mental note to increase the frequency of checks that they were doing during dinner. After breakfast, they went to go swim, and this is when the last known photograph of Madeline was taken. After they finished swimming, the kids went to the kids' club while Jerry and Kate went together for a tennis lesson. Around 5 to 6 p.m., the family went back to the resort where Kate got the kids ready for bed. Jerry went back out to go and play tennis around this time and returned back to their apartment, which was flat G5A, around 7 p.m. Madeline was read a bedtime story at this time, and the twins were placed in a travel cot next to Madeline's bed. When the McCanns left the apartment for dinner around 8.30, they say that the windows were closed and shutters were down, and that the door was left ajar. The reason that the door would have been left ajar was so that other couples in their rotation would be able to execute checks on their kids as well. Okay. Yeah. I feel like this I'm, is I'm definitely... sorry. Can you, can you remind me what year is this again? So this would have been in 2007, actually just a few days before what would have been Madeline's third birthday. Okay. Yeah, so I will say, I, I have a couple of things to say about this. One is that 2005 doesn't feel like it, but it was 20 years ago, right? The internet wasn't a baby, but it was also, like, we didn't have social media to the capacity that we do today. It wasn't right. like, you know, I feel like information wasn't as widely available as it is even now 20 years ago right and like just as a person who like I grew up in Miami right like not Miami Miami not in the heart of it but in like a suburb in South Florida right and in 2005 I would have been in elementary school and it was not mm. uncommon. You would have been... Would you have been? Yeah, because I, I graduated... Like you would have been in, like, late elementary school. Yeah, yeah. So I, I graduated 8th grade in 2008. Okay. So, like, think 5th grade, right? It would okay. not have been uncommon at all for my mom... Like, for me to ask my mom, hey, like... My best friend was a neighbor that lived a few houses up the road, right? It yeah. wouldn't have been uncommon at all for me to ask my mom, like, hey, 
me and Haley, my friend at the time, we want to roller skate to, you know, Dippin' Dots or whatever. And I mean, it would have been more than a mile away, right? Right. But And, like, I would have had to leave our gated community to do that. But it would have been completely normal for my mom to say, like, well, okay, like, go get your Dippin' Dots. And I did similar things around that age. But you're talking about a two-year-old and two infants. I mean, you are talking about children that are utterly, utterly helpless at this age. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't disagree with you. And you're right? also talking about two parents that are physicians and should be expected to be i mean i i know i'm being harsh here but you're talking about three children that are at an age where they're utterly helpless and you're talking about two parents that are physicians and i would just i would just expect a, a higher level of common sense from two physicians i will say you know same however a couple of things one I'm sure that this is something that the parents have heard 5,000 times over and they will regret this every day until they take their last breath, right? I'm sure. You don't think that the worst thing is going to happen to you. And they had this plan of checks every 15 minutes with their friends that they trusted and they thought that this was a good enough system. Is it a system that I personally agree with? No. However... However, I do think part of that comes from a place of privilege now where we've been hearing of cases like this in ways that you wouldn't have in 2005, you know, where now we hear all the time because of social media, because of this accessibility to information, we know how quickly something can happen that's not to say that her parents weren't smart people or that they shouldn't have known you know what i mean i just think you know these parents have heard enough and i'm sure they're giving themselves a hard time like we all know now that this was a shit plan you know yeah i mean my thing is like from and from the sounds of it it sounds like one adult is leaving and going to get it like like why would you why would there ever there should never be a time where two infants and a two-year-old are without adult supervision even for 30 seconds one adult should come in and the other adult should leave that to me is just common sense and I, i i'm sorry i'm being harsh here i don't see a reasonable excuse for it you can call it the times you can call it what you want but we are talking about literal babies if if they were if they were even you know like let's say your kid's age, I, I would, I would be more lenient. I I hear that. I'm just saying, you know, it is what it is. We can't change it at this point. No, we can't change it, but I'm just throwing it out there because it irritates me. I hear you. I mean, I think we're all in agreement that this was a, not a great plan, you know, however, clearly they didn't expect the worst to happen. Nobody ever does. And it did. Nobody ever does. And, and I don't ever drag parents on the pod, but it's the first time for everything. Shit choice. Anyways, continue. Yeah. Like, as somebody who has followed this case forever, you know, and, and I think especially because you'll come to find later on, and I won't get into it too deep now, 
but because of this arrangement, they were even considered suspects at one point. And I think that because of that, like staying over time, how badly they were drug in the media and like being a parent and just imagining the amount of grief that you would have to be experiencing, experiencing over something like this. And then to have that compounded with like the worst choice you ever made in your life, making you a suspect in public enemy number one in your own kid's abduction and potential murder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just, as a parent that, that kills me, but do I support this choice? Obviously not, but moving on. The restaurant was about 180 feet from their lodging space. The lodging space had minimal security. It wasn't gated and was accessible to the public. The rooms could lock, but like we mentioned, the children's rooms were all unlocked so as to allow the other adults to check in on the other family's children throughout dinner. It was 9.05 when Jerry went back to the apartment for his turn to check on the children. He would later report to authorities that he noticed the position of the bedroom door was different from how it had been left originally. But he saw all of his children asleep in the bedroom, so he headed back to the restaurant. At 9.15, Jane Tanner, one of the top of seven, walked past the McCann's apartment to check on her own kids. She did see a man carrying a child when she was on her way, and this person became a suspect, but the Metropolitan Police concluded six years later that this person was an innocent man carrying his own daughter, and he was eliminated as a suspect. Also, I think that this just goes to show that this system that they had in place, quote-unquote, like, we don't know that when these parents were doing checks that they were legitimately laying eyes physically on all eight of these children. It sounds like a lot of them were maybe just checking on their own kids and then just doing like a general walk by of Mm. the other kids, which at that point, then you're talking, it's more like an hour between physical checks. Right. If people aren't doing things the way that they said they would do them, which is even more concerning. So at 9.30, Matthew Oldfield, another of the top of seven, he offered to check on the McCann's kids while he checks his own kids in the next door apartment, and he would later report that everything looked fine during his check. At 10 p.m., Kate McCann went back to the apartment to conduct her own check and noticed that the kids' bedroom door was open. She went to close it slightly, but it was slammed shut by a breeze. She entered the room and saw that Madeline was no longer there, and immediately she reported that Madeline was gone. She disappeared on May 3rd, 2007, around 10 p.m., just a few days before what would have been her fourth birthday. I think earlier I accidentally said third. It would have been her fourth birthday, so I apologize for that. Okay, still a literal baby, but... Yeah, exactly. She was just a little a little butterbean. Let's see. Okay. So now we're kind of going to get into the investigation a bit here. Um, Initially, Portuguese authorities believed the McCanns were responsible for the disappearance of their daughter. In September 2007, Kate and Jerry were labeled Arguidos, which is Portuguese suspects. But a year later, the label was lifted due to lack of evidence. The police chief inspector who led the Madeline McCann case was Giancarlo Amaral, which I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, 
he resigned in 2008 and released a book called The Truth of the Lie, in which he alleged that Madeline accidentally died in the apartment, and in an attempt to cover it up, her parents faked her abduction. Rightfully so, the McCanns released a statement in response to the book calling it downright lies, and they sued the former police chief for libel in 2009, and they did win, but in April 2016, an appeals court overturned that decision. The Portuguese police theorized that Madeline had died in the apartment and the McCanns had gotten rid of her body. This was largely based on speculation that Kate had drugged Madeline with medicine that was found in the apartment, but the medicine that was found was basically the American equivalent of, like, Tylenol. And you would commonly use that for many ailments, as simple as, like, treating teething discomfort, which you're bound to be dealing with when you've got, you know, three kids under four, you right. know? You could be using that for any number of things. I mean, shoot, you could use that to reduce inflammation from sunburn, you know? So, anyway, it, it's just, like, there really wasn't a lot of credibility to that theory that they were drugging the kids so that they would sleep well while they went out to dinner it was like well you know we're not even talking benadryl here <laughs> we're literally talking like tylenol which is more right. like a fever reducer or like just like a comfort measure for kids you know sure doesn't even have any like drowsy properties but that said, the police theory was made a bit more credible when working dogs were brought in by law enforcement. Many experts would later end stating that working dogs can be unreliable and additional evidence is always required to corroborate the findings of a working dog. For this investigation, there were two English Spaniel dogs who were brought to investigate the McCann's apartment. The first dog was named Eddie and was trained to identify the scent of human cadavers. And the second dog was named Keela and she was trained to identify the smell of human blood. The dogs alerted a total of 13 times during their search. Some key areas that were alerted on were the area behind the couch in the apartment, the wardrobe in the master bedroom of the apartment, and the rental car that was used by the McCanns 25 days after Madeline went missing. So they didn't even rent it until 25 days after Madeline had been reported missing, but this was something that the dogs responded on, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay, so Mick Swindles was a former English police inspector and dog handler who served in the Lancashire Police. And he said that dogs can make mistakes when hunting for the scent of death. He said that an alert that Eddie gave on Madeline's favorite toy, which she referred to as Cuddle Cat, appeared unusual and isn't an alert that he would hold as credible personally. Kate's clothes were also alerted on and then tested for forensic evidence. But the clothing items ended up being cleared by forensics. There was no actual forensic evidence corroborating the dog signaling on her clothing, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. So in March 2019, just before what would have been Madeline's 16th birthday, Netflix unveiled the eight-part docuseries called The Disappearance of Madeline McCann. 
This series focused heavily on the early investigations, which focused on the parents as likely perpetrators of the crime, and also focused on a list of 38 viable suspects who had never been questioned. Martin, the dog's handler, said during the Netflix documentary, When the dog indicates in the field, it will either be human decomposition or human blood. The human decomposition is very persistent, very pungent, to the point where we've been able to locate in blind searches graves 40 years after the body has been removed, and the body was only there for a short period of time. With blood, crime scene investigators have been to the house, and somebody has cleaned the blood up to the point where you can no longer see it. That doesn't mean there isn't any blood there to find. It might drip through the gap and run round the back of the floorboard, but the odor will still be coming through the gap in the floorboards, and the dogs will pick it up and respond to it. Right. All of this means that dogs could give an alert to possible scents from long before the McCanns even stayed there. So Kate and Jerry elected not to participate in the documentary, and instead they released a statement via their website, Find Madeline McCann. Their statement read, quote, We did not see, and still do not see, how this program will help the search for Madeline, and particularly given that there is an active police investigation, could potentially hinder it. Consequently, our views and preferences are not reflected in the program. We will not be making any further statements or giving interviews regarding this program. All we have ever wanted is to find her, uncover the truth, and bring those responsible to justice. We will never give up hope of finding Madeline alive, but whatever the outcome may be, we need to know, as we need to find peace. So, with regards to this statement, I can definitely see where the parents are coming from. I think especially knowing that they were focused on as suspects at one point, I mean, that has to be very traumatic. And I feel like maybe in the same shoes, like if I was in their shoes, I'd probably be hesitant to trust a media outlet not to sensationalize that trauma for views. Yeah. Yeah. It's also possible that, you know, maybe the McCanns could have some more information than what is necessarily publicly available. And I think in that type of a situation, you know, you would want to be very careful about doing an interview because people you do an interview with, they aren't going to give a shit about whether or not it's going to hinder an investigation for the most part. I mean, it's, of course. They never it's the media. They're just going to be like, ooh, new information? We can make a dollar off of that, you know? So at least for the preliminary case overview and just providing general background that about sums it up for part 1 when we get into part 2 next week or this week if you're a patreon listener you're going to be getting a lot more new information we're going to be going into the suspect at length you know i think this is a case where justifiably people who hear this case are upset, you know, I mean, you think about what Madeline might have gone through and how avoidable it was. I mean, it's such a devastating situation because it was preventable, ultimately, you know. It was extremely Um, preventable, and that's the issue that, you know, I take with the case here. 
Yeah, I definitely get Um, that. And then, you know, as, like, a parent myself, I look at cases like this, and this is why I don't leave my kids alone for shit. You know what I mean? Like, even though they're six and eight, I still... But but, but here's the thing, and and maybe Mm -hmm. this is just the way that I was raised... Right. I'm, I'm curious. I, I want to start a discussion about this. Let's be respectful, but I want I want to start a discussion about this. Like, that's normal parenting. Yeah. I, I was never left alone at the age of six and eight. I was never right. left alone at the age of eight. Not. I was not left alone until now. Now, granted, I will. I will point out that the state where I grew up in, we do have laws where the legal age to stay home by yourself is twelve. So that that's valid. Is, that does that, vary. That is the way my family did things. Mm-hmm. So to me, you know, I, I mean, a little bit younger than 12, maybe for five minutes, but doors were locked. You know, we had phones, we had, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. But in general, like, I mean, to, to me, that's normal parenting. To me, this right. is, like, that's that's a non-negotiable that's just the way you do things so exactly and i mean it's um, gonna vary from child to child too right versus talking about toddlers no no and like for example lenny she's six and a half right she'll be seven in december but with her she's a little bit more my wild child i love her she is such a sweet kid there's nothing that she does that doesn't have beautiful thought behind it but like the other day right I went to get a shower and I came out and there was like paint on the floor in her room and I'm like oh my god what happened we were getting ready to go to B's ice skating practice and Lenny had found like a plain white long sleeve shirt and she painted a B on it like inside of a heart so that she could cheer for her sister at skating practice like beautiful intention but she's six and a half and a little, like, just free-spirited, you know? Like, she doesn't think about she's the implications of some things. Yeah, she's – and so for her, like, last night, John and I, we had taken with us to go and get a U-Haul and load up our storage unit so that we could unload the storage unit stuff that we're keeping into the garage we got approved for at our apartment, right? So – When we got home, Lenny was really tired, (laughs) really tired. And our garage is obviously in the neighborhood, in a gated community. It's like, literally, I could walk there comfortably in two minutes, right? Right. And John and I were talking about it. We were like, well, you know, should we go up there and unload it now and, like, just tuck her in? Should we wait until she falls asleep? And I was like honestly you know if this were B it would be a different story because B could handle being alone for 20 minutes while we go and unload the storage unit right Lenny can't I'm like she physically can't so I told her I was like honey I know you're tired I'm sorry I'm gonna need you to be tired for 20 more minutes you gotta come with us while we get this done you can lay down in like the front of the U-Haul which obviously we had the air on and had her like on the other side or whatever you know what I mean but I'm like she can handle being in the front of the U laying down if I'm checking on her every two seconds but 
could she handle the responsibility of being back at the apartment for 15 minutes? No. No, he, she can't. Been asleep, She's... you know, just a I baby. Mean, well, and knowing her, I mean, she would probably wake up in a panic that you weren't there anyways. Oh, 100%. I mean, she has separation anxiety issues and stuff. I'm like, yeah. not every kid's case is going to be the same. She kind of... It's, Leonard kind of wakes up and immediately goes goes and looks for one of her grown-ups. That's just Oh, a hundred percent. And if I'm not here, then she goes and she finds John right away. And John will like wake up and be like, How did Lenny get in the bed? He's like, You're not in trouble. Just like what happened? <laughs> like I'm just so confused, you know? But yeah. she'll just wander and find a grown-up and then she'll pass out by the grown-up. But if she did not have a grown-up to wander to she would be quite panicked. And so we've never put her in that position because it's just not something that she's equipped for. Because developmentally, there are things that you are and are not going to be equipped for. And, you know, B is just like a little old woman. So she's really like <laughs> developmentally. She is a little old woman. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's such a little old woman. I yeah. mean, developmentally, I, I would say I she's just more think around. we can all agree that yeah. I don't think I don't care how smart your three year old is. It's um, not appropriate ever. It's not appropriate. I I yeah. mean, you know, your kids like. I mean, even Leonard. Here's the thing about Leonard. Uh, would she hate it? Would it traumatize the hell out of her? Absolutely, and I'm not saying do it. But one thing about Leonard is Leonard can run, and Leonard can run fast. Yeah, that's true. You know what I'm saying? A, an infant and a, t- infants and three year olds, they can't, they can't do that. Yeah. So and, I, mean, I mean, even even her, at least she would have that one, one small advantage. Yeah, and I mean, even like you know, three versus six or eight or whatever. I mean, they're not going to have the skills to even be able to articulate what happened to them. God forbid something happened to them. Even the brightest three-year-old. I mean, can three-year-olds talk? Sure. Are they able to assign the correct words to everything that happened? Like, no. Sometimes Lenny still mixes up a word and she'll giggle and be like, that's not the word I was looking for. You know what I mean? So think about a three-year-old. so cute. She does it and it's so precious. It is precious. And I mean, she's a smart six-year-old but I mean still it's a child she's only been on this you know little earthly plane for so long learning how to speak a whole ass language you're gonna mix up literally a word here there learning how to be a whole entire human and I I feel like sometimes people like sometimes people don't think about that when they think of like what a realistic expectation is for a child like Bro, they've been here for like literally a few years trying to figure life out. I'm 30 and I don't even have life figured out. So Right. And I mean, also, like, as a parent, I will say there are things that you like learn and figure out over time, right? Sure. Like that you like maybe like here's an example that's embarrassing that now like I told my mom this recently and we had a great laugh about it because like me today. I would literally never. This sounds so freaking stupid. But I got pregnant with B at 19, had her at 20. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know what I mean? But B was really sick, like with a cold. I mean, she wasn't like on death's door, but she had a very bad cold, right? I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, you have a cold. You need like chicken soup, right? 
And so I really thought I was doing something. I got her like the Campbell's chicken and stars mm-hmm. and I put it in a bottle, heated it up and like cut the nipple a little wider so that the stars could get out. Right. Obviously. Duh. Obviously. Obviously. And I look back at it. I'm like, I have made stupid parenting choices at points in my parenting journey. Thank God none of them led to something horrific happening to my child because I still look back at these things and I'm like oh my gosh like what if she had choked what if she had whatever anything could have gone wrong you know what I mean but point being every parent's going to make bad choices and unfortunately in Kate and Jerry's case you know this might be the worst parenting choice that they ever made out of ignorance thinking what could possibly happen in 15 minutes when we're 180 feet away and do I agree with what they did no and I'm sure that they don't agree with what they did now either knowing what they know now but the fact of the matter is like you know we're responsible for these little human lives and shit can happen at any point in time and unfortunately you know, some of us are learning our parent decisions, like the decisions that we're going to make as parents based on seeing the worst case scenario play out for people like Jerry and Kate, you know, and their case is the reason why I won't leave my kids alone like that, or at least why I didn't at that age. Now, you know, she's more like eight and a half, you know, I mean, closer to nine. She's developmentally to where she's closer to like 10 or 11 you know what I mean right she can handle a little bit more responsibility but I would never with a three-year-old or babies because right stuff like this happens and it sucks that they're that example for the entire world you know yeah but um yeah more more on the suspect in this next episode this was only this outline was like six pages of my notes and I have like 16 total pages. So the bulk of this case is actually going to be in part two on the suspect. So hope to see you guys over it next week's episode or patrons pop on over there right now. Right. The yeah. Fuck now. I'm back to hear toe get mad again. Absolutely. And I will say we have something going on right now for our Patreon where for our highest tier, which is where you get the most bonus content, you can actually get a one-week free trial. So I really recommend Ooh, we do have checking that, that yeah, out. Do that. Do that thing. Yeah. It's it's a great little, like, get-your-feet-wet situation. And, you know, if, if you try it for a week, you can always, like, then be like, oh, I want to join, like, at the sickos tier, whatever. Like, nothing's stopping you from changing the tier. All right. Um, well... We will see you guys in the next episode. We love you so much. Thanks for sticking with us. Right, bye. Toodaloo.
performance, Dr. Rooney.